0: as if we needed an excuse to invite Ron Howard back onto soundtracking. The latest instalment of the Star Wars franchise is a pretty darn good one. Solo, a Star Wars story, speaks for itself, providing the backstory to one of cinema's most lovable rogues. Though Ron was brought onto the project late, he approached his duties with the childish enthusiasm of a man who went to see the original twice on the same day on its opening weekend back in 1977. In my view, the results are magical, offering a different tone and personality than we've seen before. It really is a fantastic experience. Now, as ever with the Star Wars movies, music is as central to the experience as the narrative, characterization, and special effects. In this instance, John Powell provided the score, though John Williams not only gave him his blessing, but also composed an all new theme for Han. Well, and welcome back to Soundtrack, and thank you for coming back for a,
1: a pleasure. second visit. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy talking about it.
0: Um, congratulations on Solo. Thank I you. had the absolute genuine pleasure of seeing it yesterday. Thank you. And it was a real physical experience. I've only watched films with an American audience in the States a few times, but that's what it felt like in terms of the enthusiasm of the crowd. How great. And how involved they were in reacting to things.
1: Well, thank you. These, you know, there's something very uh, special, of course, about Star Wars and Star Wars fans and the excitement that we feel. It's, all, it's almost like sports in a way. Yeah, yeah You know, but with the different kinds of stories, you have slightly different tones. Yeah. This one, because it's young, it's not a war story. It doesn't involve kind of like the somber seriousness of the religion of the Force. Yeah. It's about yearning and this sort of reckless drive to, to, be, to be free. And it's it's young Han Solo, and he's a bit of a rascal, and 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 uh, so there's a very playful side yeah. to this movie that was it's a little different from some of the recent ones but it's, that have been a bit more somber. Yeah, but this one is is, uh, is is just got a, a kind of young energy around it, and and I really I really enjoyed staging those scenes with that in mind.
0: There was a lot of laughter in the in the cinema. There was a lot of whoops for certain moments as well. Musically, there was a couple of yeah! moments. <laughs> <Good>. where <laughs> where I like that description. Yeah! Real <laughs> guttural, like, yeah. oh. amazing. This is a project that you came in at a certain point, and I don't know how much was there in terms of the music, and John mm. Powell obviously did the music, who we listen to non-stop, actually, my kids who are 5 and 10, because they adore the How to Train Your Dragon yeah. films. We have the soundtrack, his soundtrack's on in the car,
1: because
0: yeah. he does a wonderful job.
1: Well, When I came on board, there had been no decisions, but John Powell had been lined up to do the music. He'd been suggested, in fact, by John Williams, who couldn't do the whole movie, but he did commit to contributing a new theme specifically for Han Solo. Oh, wow. So assuming he said that John Powell didn't mind that, John was begging him to do it and (laughs) so excited about it. So this is an interesting sort of blend of um, elements of the themes we've heard a lot, this beautiful new theme from John Williams. And it was truly inspiring to see this man in his 80s sit down, see the movie. He said, wow, it's it's swashbuckling, but it's very soulful also. And he wrote a beautiful piece of music that could be used in both sort of tones. Yeah. And then John Powell, brilliant composer in his own right, somebody I've long wanted to work with, creating new themes for other characters, including a Chewbacca theme. this movie has a little bit of a western feel and a kind of a 70s feel so there's some guitar stuff in there it's never Mm -hmm. been in a star wars score there is a feeling of a kind of a pulsing driving that sort of 70s western action adventure feel but still very appropriate very consistent with uh, you know the kind of relationship an audience has with music and, and when they go to a star wars movie i think it's a great soundtrack i think he did a you know a wonderful job i'm really grateful for it We have a big train heist sequence. Mm-hmm. It has a very western feel. I love the um, the score uh, that uh, that John Powell created for that. And we talked a lot about these kind of hard-boiled uh, heist western heist movies. Yeah. Henry Mancini wrote some of these scores. Bernstein wrote some of these scores. And and you can feel echoes of that. Yeah. In what in what John uh, has created for the train heist.
0: just perfectly paced with, like you say, those kind of nods to particular themes that we know and love, but also this wonderful new soundscape. And I noticed today someone referencing, and and you took it really brilliantly, which I'm glad, was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And that was a great reference. I I love that. Yeah, yeah,
1: that was a Twitter reference, somebody. And they said Han and Chewbacca were kind of like the new Butch and Sundance. And I, I, you know, they're not that far off. And of course, again... Butch and Sundance is another example of uh, something that's grounded in reality. Mm. The stakes are real. It's life and death. But there's a kind of humanity and humor in and around that drama. Mm. And we never wanted this movie to, to be a... It's not a comedy. It's not about jokes. But there's an energy, a youthfulness, and the nature of these characters, whether it's Lando's wit... A new character l3 who's rather biting yeah. a droid with a real attitude oh, yeah you know created by phoebe
0: yeah
1: um uh, phoebe waller bridge and she's amazing or this han Chewie relationship yeah. which uh <laughs> it is a little like butch and sundance it's <laughs> hilarious
0: was phoebe physically there and was yes. it okay great I, yeah, you phoebe can was always physically was, there yeah.
1: and all the body language all the movement was it was her so yeah. she was she was basically wearing uh, a costume a robot costume yeah but also with a green uh, suit so yeah. they could ultimately re- remove you know, all vestiges of humanity. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but the attitude was, uh, was all Phoebe and, and, and body language and things like that. She was great. And a lot of this movie is about trying to break the, the bonds of oppression. Yeah. And uh, John Powell wrote a kind of a freedom theme. And in and around Phoebe's character, L3, he plays it. And they're trying to they're trying to escape, and there's this kind of crazy, hilarious rebellion, a droid rebellion at one point uh, that factors into the plot. And but he plays it, and it's very it's stirring. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of what John Powell brought to it. And he's a, he's a terrific composer, which is why John Williams, uh, you know, no, nominated him for the for the job.
0: and you know John Wright in the score and Larry and his son uh, John Wright in the script as well and you know Larry has this incredible history with Star Wars you know he, yeah. he wrote Empire and, and Jedi I think well this so. is the
1: fourth time he's written for the Han Solo character wow he he also wrote <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. and you know this is a little bit of a cousin to Raiders of the Lost Ark because if you think about it this is not an ensemble story it's not a war story yeah it's a single adventure uh, with a, a a character in the middle who is uh, a little haphazard, uh, sometimes makes some wrong-headed <laughs> decisions and gets himself into trouble. And John uh, and Larry Kazan, they love writing that kind of character who kind of has a heart and a soul despite himself and he gets himself into predicaments, yeah. and it's fun to see the, him work him, his way out.
0: Um, I've got to tell everyone you were in a great cop today, um, which has a long... Time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's the best It, hat it,
1: ever. it is a pretty great hat, it's so and I'm honoured to uh, to, <laughs> to actually uh, feel it's okay to wear it.
0: And with that iconic start to these films, to this world, you know, we normally have the crawl with the with the big anthem, and and we don't have that with, no, with well, this that's, film.
1: Kathy Kennedy and Lucasfilm has tried to separate the the Skywalker family saga movies uh, with the traditional crawl from these, uh, you know, these new sort of branches of the galaxy that they're planning to explore. I really applaud their um, courage because these movies are risky. They're still expensive. While they know there's an audience curiosity, they're all different. They're taking different tones. This is a different tone than Rogue One, but both are different than the regular saga movies in subtle ways. Which makes, means they're going to be controversial and stir up, you know, conversation. But it's so ambitious. What's great about it is that they're not trying to manufacture Star Wars stories. They're not trying to cash in. They're just trying to expand and explore. And tell the
0: and, best stories.
1: And, tell, and find the great stories uh, using these characters, using this strange cocktail of aliens and droids and human beings struggling together for freedom that George Lucas created all those years ago. So I really was very impressed by the passion that I, I found within the core group that is making the Star Wars galaxy their 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 lives and careers right now.
0: I think it makes those the moments later on in the film where you do hear familiar things. I'm not going to give anything away for anyone. <laughs> it makes it even more powerful, I think. Good. You don't have that thing at huh. start.
1: Pardon the pun, music to my ears, uh, and uh, because starting with the Casdans, especially John, the the younger of the Casdans, yeah. is an absolute <laughs> Star Wars nerd, total committed fan, you know. Yeah. But so are uh, some of the, the 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 men and women in the Lucasfilm Story Group. Yeah. You know, they're just dedicated to the possibilities, the entertainment values, mm-hmm. but also the thematic values. And I think it's always been that combination of of themes that really resonate with us on a on a, on a core level, on a most human level, and then and then also this fun action and and yeah. humor and these these relationships that are so winning.
0: was two things i was really looking out for as well which are your almost kind of kind of like your good luck charms your lovely wife yes um i I couldn't find her but i found your brother oh you did yeah he's
1: i love working with my brother clint (laughs) and i had a nice juicy small but yeah but uh, but but (laughs) perfect role for him he had a blast doing it uh yeah my cheryl that goes back to uh, when we were 17 years old, and it was the first uh, first uh, Super 8 movie that I entered in a contest. I came in second, which meant a lot to me. And she was in it, and uh, we had just started dating. We had just met, and uh, we've been together all these years, and she's been in everything. She doesn't particularly enjoy it, I'll be honest. Uh, she's kind of an introvert, and she's a writer, and doesn't necessarily want the attention. Uh, but she she knows I'm superstitious about it. And in fact, the scene where she was really... You know, sort of prominently in the movie, got cut out. I cut it out, oh, and awkward. and and when the ILM people uh, found out that I'd taken my good luck charm out, um, and I was saying, yeah, but I don't really believe in superstition. It's okay. It's it's, it's whatever the movie needs. They said, as you were sweating. <laughs> <laughs> they said, we do believe in it. We will green screen her in. So Whoa. they literally we put, we shot her in front of a green screen, and they placed her in, in the background. And my rule That's is. Amazing. If we know where to look, we can see her. It's sort of where, like, where's Waldo? Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it's not like people need yeah, to notice. Yeah, yeah. Or, okay, or, there we go. You know, so she's in there.
0: I love that they did that. She's That's...
1: in the spaceport.
0: Okay. I'm going to take my... That was, I think, this is the most guilty I felt as a parent yesterday when I was taking my kids to school. They're five and ten, two boys, and they love the world. They love it. And they were like, what are you doing today, Mom? And I was like, um... I might be going to see <laughs> Solo. <laughs> they were like, What? Us? I asked. I'm going to wreck it. I'm going to make sure that it's OK well, for you. You'll have to bring him um, back. And oh, it my is, God. Yeah. At least, al- once. Already at I least can, once.
1: Already I can tell that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, well, this sounds like I'm shilling for the movie, but it, it is dense in its own way. And people like seeing it a second time. Oh, they get I more. I can't out of wait.
0: It. I really can't wait. I mean, you have this wonderful history with George Lucas, you know, going back to American Graffiti. I was listening to some lovely interviews with you where you were, you talked about, you know, he was this maverick young filmmaker and he, he talked to you about this idea he had for...
1: You know, for yeah. this
0: story about this boy and this
1: world. Yeah. And uh, he, ca- he said, "Well, it's kind of like a Flash Gordon movie, which is the sort of the, the cheesiest of the B movies at that time." I love you Flash know. Gordon. Uh, well, <laughs> okay. Gordon's said, alive. <laughs> but he said, "I don't want—I don't want it to be where the, sh- the spaceship is obviously on wires, kind yeah, of bouncing yeah, yeah. along." <laughs> In front of yeah. a painted backdrop of stars, you know, he mm-hmm. says, "I want to use the Stanley Kubrick level special effects, but with an adventure movie." He says, "And I want the spaceships to go fast." And that's about all he said about it. And I admit, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think it was a great idea, but I didn't say anything. Yeah. At that time, sci-fi was really kind of corny, and he elevated it by by using state-of-the-art technology, John Williams' amazing score. Yeah. And again, I think he sort of was inventing this combination of entertainment values that are, you know, funny uh, and yet you actually care about the, the you know, the stakes, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's unique. I don't think another filmmaker could come along today and try to come up with that particular blend mm. of that sort of earnest, honest, committed characters and that h- humor and those thematic ideas and, and that style of action, blend them together. I don't think people would be comfortable with it, mm. but I think that's one of the things that Star Wars has earned is kind of the right to give people this unique blend of, uh, of entertainment values.
0: And you went to see it on its opening?
1: Opening weekend, weekend, yeah. Cheryl and I went to the Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard to a 10 a.m. show because I was doing Happy Days at that time. We shot on Friday nights, so I couldn't go Friday. Um, But uh, first thing in the morning, an early morning show, 10 o'clock, and uh, we were just blown away by it. And we 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 left, and there were two massively long lines in front of the Chinese Theater, and we knew it would be two hours to get back in. And I said, "Do you want to? Do you want to see it again?" And Cheryl said,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: and we got back in line and saw it, uh, you know, waited two hours and saw it again that day. I'll never forget it.
0: Have you done that with any other film?
1: I don't think I ever have seen it twice <laughs> in the same day. I've seen movies more than once <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. stood in long lines. But not
0: straight after, no. You literally, you've come out. No,
1: no, no that was a, that was a, it shows you the kind of impact it really had on, on, uh, on, on moviegoers from the beginning.
0: Last time we spoke we, we delved into to your incredible body of work and some of the wonderful composers that you you work with and, and um, we talked quite a lot a lot about um about James Horner and and how when you you know when you spoke to him originally about working on Cocoon and he came to the table almost like a screenwriter you know and that was the way that he talked to you about how he saw the score I imagine it's very different with every composer that you work with, that they have their process or they have the way that they communicate with you, their vision or their their ear for for the the picture.
1: Well, the best composers are are all very good storytellers. And if you have a a conversation with Hans Zimmer about the movie, it's not just about the music. You know, he'll contribute ideas. In fact, when John Powell saw a first long cut uh, of Solo, he had a couple of very good creative ideas that had nothing to do with music whatsoever they wow. were storytelling ideas that the editor Pietro Scalia and I immediately adopted and I even we did some rewrites and went back and reshot something and wow. it was all and I'm very grateful for all, you know all inspired by John Powell's idea and his reaction to the movie these people are just great storytellers and can be fantastic contributors to the overall process I love to know whenever possible who the composer is going to be you know e- even before you're shooting yeah and try to get the composer to the set and and make that composer a part of the of the of the process
0: it's such a great example of of your collaborative approach to your work in terms of that you know you're sat there with your editor working on your movie and you're very open to taking comments from your composer that will you know that will will incur changes on your film that's an amazingly open and collaborative approach have you always is that always how you've approached filmmaking
1: well, when I was younger, I was scared of that because I was afraid I'd be railroaded or or that people wouldn't respect me, uh, and so I was a little more guarded. But as I became more and more experienced and had more confidence, it was uh, easier for me to benefit from the, the brilliance of the people around me and the, and, and still maintain um you know creative control over the over the project because i would also have the confidence to say i I hear you but i i don't quite see it that way yeah and everyone would accept it because they also would know that i'm excited to say yes Talking earlier about Lauren Bauf, who I'd worked with through Hans Zimmer, uh, and then we were very lucky to have him be the composer on on Genius. Yeah. Um, and I I directed uh, the first episode of the of uh, of Einstein, um, and I wasn't able to direct any of the Picassos with Antonio Banderas uh, that are airing now. But Lauren came in, and you know, and once again, uh, really understood the psychology. Uh, of this of, of, of Picasso and the themes of this story and uh, he, you know he didn't just copy what he'd done that brilliantly yeah. the season before on Einstein yeah you know he he, he created you know something that was entirely appropriate uh, for, for Pablo Picasso and um, next we're doing Mary Shelley and I hope, oh, I hope wow. Lauren, yeah I hope Lauren will be available for that because you know what will he do with Frankenstein
0: oh wow <laughs> that's incredibly yeah. exciting yeah. For a composer, though, to have that luxury of, you know, it's not just two hours of a character, of a production, it's a whole series of a production.
1: Yeah. Well, storytellers, well. filmmakers, most of us are really excited by this discovery that this long-form approach to stories can still be very, very cinematic. And it's it's just wonderful to be able to delve into the details of these stories especially when you're dealing with real-life events, it's often so frustrating what you have to leave out. And it's always been a, a difficult, a limiting factor that you, know, you had to make this for a single sitting viewership. And now you know, this is this other possibility that really isn't a cinematic compromise at all. It's mm-hmm. expansive in terms of the, the artistry of the medium and what storytellers can do with it. So it doesn't take away from movies. They're so powerful. And sometimes it's just the thing you want, you know, is to have a story that begins and ends and and you've experienced it and felt it and Mm -hmm. you don't have to dedicate 10 hours or more to grasping that story. And that's its own, you know, really potent, powerful, fun format. Yeah. But I I keep exploring. I keep taking chances. I'm very pleased with the way Solo worked out, but it was a bit of a reckless experiment. Mm -hmm. I came in late and I I thought, well, this would be a really fun, interesting creative challenge. Well, I wasn't sure it would be fun. It turned out to be fun. I knew it would be, I'd learn something and it would be, uh, a brand new kind of experience for me. But I did the same thing with the Beatles documentary, which was and, great. We, uh, the, to, yeah, well, you we, we sort of threw myself <laughs> into that yeah. and realized, oh my lord, I, this is not just a documentary. This is the Beatles. Uh, people are really—they're—they're—they're really, uh, they're, 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 they're really going to, um, you know, sharpen their sharpen their pencils uh, and and take notes carefully when they watch this.
0: Well, that was that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you with solo movies. you didn't have to do it. Why did you want to do it?
1: It honestly was a kind of an adventure mm-hmm. and an opportunity and a chance to play in that sandbox, learn what I could learn from it state of the art, everything in terms of world creation, state of the art visual effects. Mm. I knew that what, the thing that surprised me the most was how interesting and fun it was to stage this kind of action because i've I've mostly been doing you know very realistic action like part of the sea yeah. or rush you yeah. know where it's intense
0: 13. <laughs> but,
1: but very much based in, in trying to let the audience feel what it what it might be like to be in, in one of these uh, action circumstances Yeah, here it's about play it's about imagination it's about big feelings and fun to make a movie that aims first and foremost to entertain in the most escapist immersive ways yeah And it'd been a long time, maybe going back to The Grinch, that I'd done a movie that was that aggressively playful. And uh, I enjoyed it. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Um... Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship?
0: Yeah, I know okay. guy. He's the
1: best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. (laughs) (laughs) L3. Let's go of the mean man's face. Hey, with these guys. If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might want to buckle up, baby.
0: Talking about playful. Um, before we go, I can't not mention Arrested Development. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's uh,
1: back. Ooh, uh, it's another one of those. Uh, yeah! <laughs> Mitch Hurwitz and his and his 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 cohort, uh, constant cohort Jim Balile, and the cast. You know, and Will Arnett contributes sometimes as a writer. Uh, Michael Sarah often contributes. Mm-hmm. Jason Bateman is an incredible talent. Yeah. Uh, often contributes, and they've all become such superstars in the comedy world that it's a, sort of impossible to get them together yeah. and yet they all rally for arrested development yeah. and rally for mitch Hurwitz. and i'm, I'm really thrilled you know I, I love being the uncredited narrator <laughs> uh
0: and credited by extremely well known <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it, it's um, you know it's a good sign when 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 you're doing the narration and you're having a hard time keeping a straight face yeah, and not yeah. laughing
0: we had the russo brothers on the show a couple of weeks ago and we talked to them Did about you? it as well yeah, yeah and it was great to chat to them about you know way back
1: well what a great career them. they're having yeah. and again they're, they're very diverse uh mm-hmm. and uh and and they're just gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna keep going as as directors and and producers yeah. uh doing really interesting stuff
0: i loved them um, i heard you talk about arrested Development when it first started and the you know the kind of pilot was put out there in front of test audiences and you were the thing that everybody came back and said love the narrator. Well, you were like I, you you scored the highest on it the was,
1: test. It was it was just temp narration. I I wasn't expecting to get a full-time <laughs> job out of it. Uh, and uh, and I've I still haven't really gotten a raise. Everybody else seems really? to get raises, but the narrator doesn't get a raise. I, I, I don't you know. You need to sort that out. <laughs> well, when the, when the narrator's also a producer, I think maybe it works out. way.
0: <laughs> um, Ron, thank you for your time once again. A real, real pleasure. And huge congratulations on, on solo. I'm
1: so glad you had fun with it and liked it. And yeah, I can't wait to go again. Always fun to talk music and, and film and television with you.
0: Thank you. From the score to Solo, a Star Wars story, that's the unconventional chicken in the pot. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Ron Howard. My huge thanks to Ron for taking the time to talk to us a second time round. He really is an absolute delight to spend time with. Solo is on general release around the world now and really is well worth seeing. You can catch up with all of our previous episodes via edithbowman.com, including my previous chat with Ron and Rogue One and Last Jedi directors, Gareth Edwards and Ryan Johnson. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And do please subscribe and rate us via your preferred podcast provider. Now, as you know, we here at Soundtracking like to get out and about too. And this June, Mowat and Shandon is bringing the party back to London with the opening of Moat Summer House, a unique concept blending a private members club with Moat and Shandon's renowned spirit of generosity. Summer House will open its doors from Friday, June 8th to Sunday, June 10th with a day-to-night line-up of cultural events, everything from acoustic performances and DJ sets, supper clubs from renowned chefs, poetry readings and even live podcasts from us. Absolutely anyone can register for tickets so be sure to get in quickly before they're all booked up. Now we're going to be part of Saturday's brilliant lineup on early at eleven thirty a.m and for full information and to sign up for complimentary membership please visit www.moatsummerhouse.com now we're taking a break for one week from the regular podcast, but of loads of great guests lined up, including another returning guest in J.A. Bayona, composer, Daniel Pemberton, and writer, director, the fabulous Clio Bernard. Back in two weeks then. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.